I don't have a background in agriculture. I didn't even know what to really look into. It's just like I slowly but surely got to the right article about container farms and like what the possibility is there. And like, I remember reading that article and for the first time and, you know, three weeks or something like that, feeling a little bit of hope and really being inspired about controlled environment agriculture. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ag tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 9. Regular listeners to the show, welcome back. I appreciate you supporting the show, spreading the word, and letting people know about all the fantastic conversations we're having on the show. If you are a new listener and this is your first time listening, you're in the right place. This is the show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. I'm your host, Harry Turan. In case you missed last week's episode, we kicked off season nine with Nick Bateman, the CEO of GrowPura. Very insightful interview and helpful to hear from Nick's perspective how they've been heads down developing their technology in a way that puts them several years ahead of their competitors. And it was fascinating to hear Nick break that process down for our listeners. This week, I'm connecting with someone I met at Indoor AgCon earlier this year, Mary Catherine Scala. She is the co-founder of Freight to Plate, a company that turns shipping containers into profitable farms. Mary Catherine walks us through her journey from the restaurants of Chicago and the path that took her to Austin, where she first discovered the potential of container farming. Her entrepreneurial spirit, ignited by this concept, led her back to Chicago with a mission to revolutionize food systems there. She shares her insights on the ideal partners for this venture and highlights the pivotal role of tech in the current work she's doing at Freight to Plate. It's very helpful to hear from her how she's been educated all along the way on the processes she needs to put this into place and the people that helped guide her there. Her energy is infectious, and I know you'll be inspired as an entrepreneur and as a farmer to hear her story. If you are enjoying this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I'd love to read yours out next. These episodes are always chock full of great takeaways. And as a listener, I want you to focus all your energy on the conversation. Rest assured, you can always visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com to read the full show notes for each episode, which includes all guest links as well. Okay, before we jump into this uninterrupted conversation with Mary Catherine Scala, here are a few words from the folks that support this show. So Mary Catherine Scala, co-founder of Freight to Plate, thank you so much for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Harry, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I love listening to all your interviews, so I'm <laughs> excited to add my two cents and my perspective on the industry. So thank you for inviting me. Yeah, and it's always exciting for me when I get to find new folks in the space to talk to. And I think as long as I keep attending conferences, I'll probably not run out of people that are I'm inspired by. We connected briefly at Indoor AgCon following your panel, which was moderated by previous host Nona. I've already interviewed Alaric on the show as well. So Excellent. <laughs> that's great. So I think if you want to talk a little bit about that panel, kick it off, because I think it was a great way. It was one of the, it was the final panel talk of the conference. But for me, it was one of the most impactful. You know, I hope I don't sound biased, but I thought it was one of the most important conversations of the conference as well. It was an honor to like have my voice added to that panel discussion. It's important because it was about 
the actual application of everything that we're seeing and we're creating. It's all about how it's actually impacting communities, actually impacting people, which I think at the end of the day should really be the first conversation we have. Really, like how are these advances in technology and tech and how we grow, like how are they actually going to truly impact people? We should always start there because it is about people. Yeah. It's about feeding people and, you know, curing that hunger element that we struggle with and will continue to struggle with as our planet changes. So, yeah, I thought it was wildly important. Again, I was honored to be a part of it. And, yeah, I think being there with Alaric and Cheyenne, two entrepreneurs, growers, and builders that are doing incredible work in the Las Vegas area, you know, those are individuals that have dedicated their lives to growing food and feeding people and teaching people. So it was really an honor to be sitting at the table with them because they've dedicated their lives to it. And while I'm a little bit newer to the game, I've also dedicated my life to it. So it was great to learn from them and to be able to sit next with them and share my ideas and thoughts of how to do the thing. How did the panel come together? I actually have no idea. (laughs) I wasn't even planning on going to the conference. I got recommended for the panel discussion and it, through a friend at Cultivated, which is an awesome group. And they asked for me to be on it, and I jumped at the opportunity. Very good. Yeah, I was referred. (laughs) Did you get a chance to attend any of the other sessions? I did, yes. You know, again, I think a lot of the sessions, I heard the standard CapEx over pounds modeling for our industry and how to make the the best penny off of each head of lettuce and <laughs> really trying to maximize that whole model. And I understand like that's the way our food, our industry is right now. Yeah. The industry is very much a capex over pounds. That's how we get our financial viability. That's how people, you know, grow in, in the industry, but I think especially when we consider like container farming and these smaller footprint, large yield technologies, you know, freight to plates. And my idea is there's, you know, more metrics that matter that need to be applied to how we find financial viability. And I wish we heard more of that, more of like metrics that matter, like, again, impact and social impact of technologies. So, you know, I was looking for you know, more diversity in the conversation. And I feel like it didn't get there until the last panel (laughs) of the conference. So yeah, again, learned a lot and heard a lot of different perspective, but it was almost the same message, if that makes sense. I guess when it comes to these types of things, it's helpful to have some hope that there is some progress being made. Shout out to Suzanne and the team at Indoor AgCon for actually you know, finding time to coordinate this. And I imagine in the next one with the feedback, I know that she's indirect on has been a sponsor of the show. And I think feedback from you, the attendees and people saying that that was a really positive session will encourage them to keep doing like things like that. They did have the trip downtown to see the food desert, which was amazing. And then I know Alaric and his team were working mm-hmm. on that. So it's been great well, to again, see. Yeah. Those are the things that like you see the impact you see 
how the integration of the technology of these things that are being built. And you can't do one without the other. And it is amazing to see the advancements. It's amazing to hear like the stories of the people that are building the tech companies that are, you know, building the tools that the integrators need to actually do the impacting. You need both. And we have to hear both sides of the story. And I agree. Indoor Ag did an amazing job. Like, wasn't it the biggest conference they've had? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a 10 year anniversary and it was the double the size of the previous year. Which is amazing. And you could feel the buzz and you could feel that sense of like partnership and people wanting to share and talk about everything that they're doing. So, you know, to your point, like they did an amazing job. It's a, such a great conference. I can't wait to go back next year. And yeah, hopefully there's more conversations about the actual integration and what's happening in our communities through the technology and tech. I think your point about different ways to measure success of a project, viability of a project, long-term sustainability, and you measure, and you mention impact, reach. If you think about the tour, the food desert tour, and the fact that there's an education component to people who may not have grown, you know, as strange as this sound, with any access to fresh food at all. Like you saw some of the like the lettuce that it was pretty sad looking. It was like wrapped in like cellophane. It was just like not fresh at all. And I'm happy to hear that previous guest, Ali Daniali, the work he's doing with Harvests, they were able to get a couple of container farms on the site already. So I think even since we've been there and we've had the conference, I think they've got two physical containers on the site. So they're working closely with Alaric to get that up and running. But you can just imagine, because we took a tour for the benefit of the listener through their quote unquote produce section that was completely empty. There was yeah. nothing there. It was really sad. And, you know, I grew up thankfully with some access to fresh foods and but nothing too extreme. But you know, you would you take it for granted that you just see a wide variety. And I think part of like measuring success is do we see folks that have come from a, you know, low income neighborhoods being educated and trying out fresh foods and trying out recipes and teaching their family, educating their family on the benefits of what this access does. Right. Which that's the one thing Freight to Plate is working really. That's our mission. Our mission is to, you know, it's kind of radical, but to make fresh produce, you know, take it further away from being a privilege because it should be a right. Just like access to clean water should be a right. Yeah, exactly. Fresh produce should be a right. And, you know, we're building our business in a way that we can help communities create, activate, and maintain hyper-local food systems so that maybe not everyone is going to opt for it right from the beginning, but when it's part of your community fabric, when you can see it and touch it and you know that it's there, that's when you get adopters and that's when, you know, that real impact does happen. They have to see it. They have to know that it is there and it's there for them. And so Freight to Plate works to make that happen. Just like we're working with a really amazing nonprofit called By the Hand, and they have a footprint in a community called Altgeld Gardens, which okay. is a community I spoke about on the panel at Indoor Ag too. But it's just, it's one of our most forgotten communities in Chicago and a true food desert. And, you know, they're, closest grocery store is roughly eight miles. Mm. And the majority of the people in the community, you know, live under the minimum household income is like $19,000 a year. So wow. it's a very underserved community. And we worked with By the Hand to 
raise a private fund to purchase a container farm and our services to help with that project. And what I mean, help with that project, it's like you can buy a container farm, but there's a lot that goes into actually integrating a container yeah. farm into a community as a community amenity. Okay. So Great to Plate does all those services and you know partnership with the nonprofit to make that happen. So okay. now this community is going to have a container farm and the Freight to Plate programming to help educate the community, teach the students of by the hand how to run that farm. Mm-hmm. And then we've also partnered them with a local chef to purchase about 25% of the yield so that it helps with the operation costs. And then all the other food that's grown from there is going to go directly to the community at no cost. That's amazing. I definitely want to dig into that model because it's really interesting. And it's, it was one of the things that really I was paying attention to during the panel. I do want to re- rewind the clock a little bit yeah, because it looks like you got your start in Texas, actually not Chicago. So I'm curious where your entrepreneurial journey started. If you can, you know, you don't have to give all the specifics, but talk a little bit about all the different things you've done. I've seen you've, you've got some work in the restaurant business, distilleries, a pretty wide range of experiences that probably, you know, if you look back, led you to this moment. But can you talk a little bit about that, that what that journey has been like for you? Yeah, I'm a jack of all trades, but I believe every entrepreneur finds that they're a jack of all trades as well. And so maybe that's not so special about me. But Harry, I grew up in Chicago. So born and raised in Chicago. And I moved to Texas in 2011. Okay. And purely for a change of scenery and a change of lifestyle. You know, I had nothing waiting there for me, but that was just something I felt like I needed to do. I was going to culinary school at the time at Kendall College in Chicago. Okay. And I just had this calling to like go just get into the world and work and see where that path would take me. So I moved down to Austin and yes, worked every element of the restaurant industry. I've always been super obsessed with food, cooking it. I've always loved dining experience. I'm a middle child of a big Italian family. So like that's, it's in my blood. I think bleed marinara sauce or something. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So food has always been really important and it's always been something that has brought family and friends together. So in Austin, again, I worked every element of the restaurant industry Oh, and you were in Austin before the Austin boom. <laughs> I was, yeah. I got real sick of craft beer before craft beer got even its like big push. I yeah. remember when like everybody started to really get into craft beer. I'm like, I've been drinking craft beer for two years now. I'm done with it. That's so funny. <laughs> but being in Austin at that time, you know, I got to try a lot of things. And also being in Austin at the start of the like startup boom there as well. So yeah. Not only was there the micro distilleries and the micro breweries, but small tech companies were starting to relocate yeah. to Austin. So I got to dip my toe into the startup life that way. I worked for a, a food delivery service. Okay. And it was kind of in the era of Blue Apron, which I thought was really cool. But one differentiator that we took was we would portion out all the fresh produce so if a recipe called for onion, but it was a single meal prep, they wouldn't get a full onion because that would just create food waste. Yeah. But we were really focused on eliminating as much fresh produce waste as possible. That's great. A, yeah, it was a really cool opportunity. learned a lot. I was employee number two on the team. So oh, wow. I saw it from the very beginning. And 
it was that experience that really, you know, gave me the itch and the knowing that like entrepreneurship was something that was going to be with me. It was something that I am and I had yeah. to carry that on. So that was like the first touch of it. And then from there, I went on to build furniture. So I was a furniture builder. I don't know if you know that about me, but yes, I, that did was see like, that, yeah. <laughs> I was a carpenter for a couple of years. You would attract you to that. I know this is going to sound funny. Wood. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Just being able to work with wood was something I just wanted to try. Yeah. And again, I think living in Austin, having grown up in Chicago, which is a major city and like mm -hmm. the, the lifestyle and the way you function is a lot different than what I was experiencing in Austin. I felt like I had walked into a world where I could really try anything that I wanted mm. to and like feel safe in doing that. And so, yeah, I made friends with an artist slash a carpenter and he let me use some of his space and he taught That's me great. some tools of the trade. And then I was a builder. <laughs> Do you have any pieces left that you made there? You still have them? I sold over 40 uh, oh, wow. floating shelves. So I've got clients all over the country that like still check in with me about the floating shelves I've made them. Um, yeah, I don't have anything in my possession that I've built, but Mary Catherine specials are still hanging on walls <laughs> <laughs> all over the country. That's good. That's nice to know. Yeah. And then from there... I started working with a micro distillery, again, out of Austin called Tree mm -hmm. Oak. And that was an amazing experience because they were doing something really unique. They had a bourbon portfolio and a gin portfolio. And it mm -hmm. was very, it was craft, Texas craft spirits. But what I learned from them and the founder, Daniel Barnes, who's like a mentor of mine and someone that I really have like always looked up to, he built a brand that encompassed so much and everybody that worked there, like they lived, they breathed and yeah. like, that was their heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so cool. Like I'd never been a part of that. And so I got to do that and learn that and see how being part of a company and part of a team can really transform people. So that was super special. And Treaty Oak is really what brought me back to Chicago. Um, okay. Because I opened up the Illinois and Michigan market forum, and oh, okay. I was doing a lot of back and forth between Austin and Chicago. And finally, I was just like, you know, I'd been away from my family unit. Again, I'm yeah. one of five, so okay. I'd been away from them for you know almost ten years, and I was ready oh. to come back home. And so I did. And then, like eight nine months later, COVID happened. Yeah. I saw it was interesting because I saw the timing of when you started Freight to Plate. So, which is funny because this podcast actually started in March of 2020 as well, because really? the, the idea came before COVID. I've shared this plenty of times for, for the benefit of the listener, but you know, this client had given me a book called Abundance by Peter Diamandis, which led me to a, a section on vertical farming, which led me to Dixon Despami's book, which is, you know, I have podcast experience. My first show I started in 2014 called Podcast Junkies. I interview other podcasters. I've done over 300 interviews. So very familiar with long form interviews. And then we own a podcast agency 
reproduce shows. So I had the two skill sets. Mm -hmm. And so I started, but then, I mean, obviously no one knew it was coming and I was starting my first interviews. And thankfully, I'll always give thanks to David Farquhar from IGS, who, you know, was in his house in Scotland somewhere during COVID. (laughs) I said, do you still want to do this? He's like, yeah, let's do it. And we had a great conversation. He's been on three times now. So it was an interesting time. And obviously, you know, Everyone went through a wide variety of experiences. I had a loss from a friend as well from mm-hmm. COVID. So it was an interesting time. So I'm wondering if you could share, you know, what was happening in your world, you know, as that was coming to pass. Yeah. You know, it was scary <laughs> for so many oh, yeah. different reasons. And oh, yeah. I was working for a restaurant group at the start of the pandemic and I had been ready to kind of transition out. And I had an itch for the entrepreneurial spirit, but like was trying to figure out what that was going to be. And then the pandemic hit and I was furloughed and it terrified me because I didn't know what was going to be next. Like what could be next is hospitality even going to be around that what I wanted to do. Like, you know, it was almost like a midlife crisis for everybody all at the same time, not knowing. And so being an avid food lover and then like being sequestered and then going to grocery stores and seeing the devastation like was so overwhelming to me. And it made me get a little bit obsessed with like what could be next, what would be next. So I spent weeks just in the deepest dark nooks of the internet, like trying to see what could there be I'm looking yeah. for food supply? Like, and I was kind of thinking growing, but I don't have a background in agriculture. I didn't even know what to really look into. It's just like, I slowly, but surely got to the right article about, you know, container farms and like what the possibility is there. And like, I remember reading that article and for the first time and, you know, three weeks or something like that, feeling a little bit of hope and really being inspired about, controlled environment agriculture. And Harry, it really didn't take that long from like me reading that article to freight to plate coming into existence. Like Mm. it was almost, I know this is going to sound like, you know, a big unicorn in the sky story, but it was about 24 hours after I read that article that my sister called me and said, Hey, you know, I know you got a lot of time on your hands because you've been furloughed, but I've been asked to look at a spec sheet for a container farm. There's a nonprofit that wants to see if they can get one for this community. Like, I think if anyone could make this happen, it's you and me, like, what do you say? And I looked at it and I was like, I literally just read an article. Like I was going to like call the company and ask if they would hire me, you know? And she was like, no, no, we can do this on our own. Like, let's figure this out. So Mm. like, from then on freight to plate came into existence and you know from the very beginning it was it has always and will always be about bringing fresh hyper local food systems to communities yeah and obviously communities can mean so many different things we'll always be a mission based company so we do want to impact food insecure communities but also mm-hmm. schools and healthcare systems and mixed use developments like wherever there's community there should be fresh food as yeah. the foundation for it so yeah that was like the initial launch of it in like the first couple months of covid and then as we got further into the covid experience i just tried to get as much of my mind immersed into container farms and like what 
the power of it is and went into really using it as my way to almost like a safety blanket for all the other things that were going on in the world. Yeah. COVID, social yeah. unrest. Like I think there was no shortage of things to make you want to like close your eyes and yeah you know like forget it all finding freight to play and finding that mission like really was a guiding light for me in covid and i'm so grateful for it that's an amazing story it's very inspiring and you know sometimes these things happen in a way that make it seem like serendipity but i think it's just a matter of being in the right place at the right time with the right mindset with the right intention like because you had an intention to do something that was going to be providing more meaning for you in your life and mm -hmm. to serve these communities and you had an awareness that there was more out there yeah and I, I think i always i've got the saying that the universe rewards momentum so like you have this forward momentum and then the pieces sort of fall into place and it really is beautiful when it happens and it just seems like a like a miracle sometimes mm -hmm. but just having the right pieces in place so talk a little bit about those early days you know what was the plan what was the business model and you know how has that evolved yeah so the plan has and will always stay the same. Freight to Plate is a company that wants to help, you know, create, activate, and maintain hyperlocal food systems. Again, at the beginning of it, like we knew that's what we wanted to do, my sister and I, but we actually didn't know what that meant. So it was like we had that big vision for it. It was always, it's always been the same, but we almost had to like take a step back and be like, well, if we're going to help people create them, activate them and maintain them. We need to do it for ourselves first. So then we purchased a container farm. We found unused parcel of land in Fulton Market, which is a really cool area of Chicago. And we activated the farm and we created and launched Freight to Plate's first homestead, where we owned and operated the container farm and built a really successful, cool business out of that one shipping container. We brought on Michelin starred chefs from the Chicago landscape, different really cool culinary partners. We also brought on sponsorships like Whole Foods okay. worked with us as well. And so we built a really great model for a successful container farm. And so now that we knew that we could replicate that for other communities and other businesses as well, which is where we are now. Now we use our homestead location to showcase what a successful hyperlocal food system looks like. And so that's- yeah, I love the photograph you have, the photo on the main site. It's got like a skin on it or a painting on it. Is that a mock-up or is that what the real container oh, looks like? Oh, that's what it really <laughs> okay. looks like. Yeah. Again, we see the container model as a really impactful tool for yeah. hyperlocal food systems and like how we integrate into communities. I mean, not only is it the right footprint, it gives you the right yields and it's a blank canvas. So you yeah. can, you know, create whatever imagery around it that will enhance your community. Mm -hmm. And we decided for our homestead to, you know, take it literally and yeah. create a home space. And so the artist we worked with, his name's Sick Fisher, he's awesome. And now he'll, probably paint all the containers that we integrate <laughs> into communities because he did such an awesome job. Yeah, yeah. But he made us our mid-century mod farmhouse and now it's part of our brand and you can't really separate that image from yeah. the great to play any longer. 
Yeah, and I'll encourage the listener to head to the website ftp.farm to take a look at it because it's really beautiful. So I want to get into the specifics because obviously we hear a lot of origin stories here, people getting started, but I also want to give people a realistic expectation of, of what's involved, like how much work is involved and, you know, how many hours did you put in those early days and what was the known versus the not known and, you know, maybe a little bit of the bumps along the way just to give folks, you know, an honest picture about what to expect when, you know, taking on an endeavor like this. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think if I've had a vacation since March 2020. I think I have, but yeah, it's every day. I think mm-hmm. It's really interesting because, you know, farmers from the dawn of time, like that is your life. It's not a job. It's a lifestyle. And so entrepreneurship tied with agriculture, it's you're just piling on a lifestyle. So there's a lot of time and dedication early mornings and late nights. And that might seem really daunting and overwhelming, but you're creating a life and a lifestyle that is never going to lose its value. It's only going to create more and more value the further along you take this journey when you get into old environment agriculture. So the value is there. You know, I can say now in hindsight, God, I wish like I did a lot more reading and a lot more outreach to all different sectors. I think like you get tired because you're like, you're doing what's in front of you. I think in hindsight, I wish I would have given myself just a little bit of space around just putting one foot in front of the other to do like more research and more like outreach to, you know, other industry members, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Like I wish I would have had the opportunity to go to indoor ag 2020, (laughs) like that would have been awesome. So for anyone, like any of your listeners, get to a conference and like actually go like see and hear people in the space. I really wish I had that. Cause yeah, you can start walking down a path and you just see what you see and you know what you know, but it would, would have been so much help, more helpful to like have some extra input. Maybe we'll coordinate with Suzanne and we'll put a panel together about starting your first container farm and Maybe we'll just come up with the, maybe I'll moderate it and I'll have you on and we'll get some other folks on there. (laughs) Perfect. I mean, how well attended is that going to be? That'll be Oh, yeah. Suzanne's going to love this. We're taking some work off her plate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, helping her schedule this out. I'll propose it. I'd love to moderate a panel, especially around this topic of, you know, lessons learned, mistakes made, what to do, what not to do, because there's so many people, I think, that are excited about this opportunity, but... If they don't have the finances in place, if to your point, the takeoffs or, you know, the things, if you think about the things you had to think about, which crops to grow, like who were you going to, you did mention the relationships with the Michelin store restaurants, which I think Mm -hmm. is important, but are there other things that come to mind in terms of like, you know, not the ultimate checklist, but just things that people should be thinking about that they probably might not be, or should be considering that are important? Well, specifically with container farms, it is not as easy as finding the right manufacturer, which yeah. that's also not easy, but like, yeah. you know, finding the right manufacturer and then purchasing and then having it delivered, you know, like, especially in any metropolitan city, even if you're in a metropolitan city and you own your own property, there's a million different factors, zoning, permitting, Do you need an architect, what kind of fees are associated with that? You know, what kind of utility pole are you going to have to bring per your 
you know, your city's ordinance. Like there's mm-hmm. a million different little intricacies that it's almost like impossible for a newcomer to know because even as someone, myself and Freight to Plate, we're, we've gone through multiple projects. Now, like we're still finding little nuances, you know, discovering little nuances that add time, like stuff that I don't know how to prepare people for. Although we are trying, we are right now putting together like a, a playbook that will call out all your different, you know, additional time and like financial things that you need to be aware of. But you just never know until you know. I just think the additional time that you need to put into understanding like where the farm's going to go and the permitting and zoning of it and then understanding if you need an architect because that's also additional time and additional finances that go into projects. It's something that I think when people think about a container farm, a lot of people think you're just dropping it into a location, plugging it in, and then turning it on, and then the crops automatically like will come out like a conveyor belt or an assembly line system. But you know, you mentioned things like an architect and thinking about the utility placement and working mm-hmm. with like the power company, and these are specifics that are really important. And I think if not properly planned, you know, you could lend yourself to failure on those first projects. For sure. Well, that's why you know, system integrators, like a company like Freight to Play, I think is really important for the industry and why we're, you know, continuing to fight to be a part of it and to share our experience and to be partners with, you know, as many different groups and companies as possible, because it is important. And it's not fair to bring adopters to this into the space and then not help them succeed. And I think like, helping them succeed is having groups like Freight to Plate that can help facilitate all the unknowns because, you know, gosh, I wish I could remember this guy's name, but I had this conversation with someone at the conference and it's important, especially in an industry as new as controlled environment agriculture and where we are right now, for people to do what they do and do it well and not try and do everything. I think, you know, there are groups that can, I think be at fault for that. And you just, you can't know every intricacy of everything. So that's why partnerships are so important. So if you're building something and you need to make sure that you're building that to the best of your ability. And so that that is successful, all the other parts of how is it going to, you know, fire up and run? Like, I think there should be some partnerships there Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. to help like unload some of that some of that because there's just nuances that you just can't always know like i'm not a builder great plates on a manufacturer so we don't want to get into that space we want to stay as system integrators and help the tech get into the communities as flawlessly and successfully as possible so for the folks that are new to freight to plate talk a little bit about who makes for an ideal partner and what are some of the projects that you're currently working on Sure. An ideal partner, well, it's a couple prongs. Yeah. Ideal partner is a manufacturer that stands behind their product that builds something that's reliable and has, you know, great strong warranties. Our community partners are nonprofits, they're mm-hmm. real estate developers, okay. healthcare providers, and those are the community, you know, people that are have the communities to integrate the tech into. And some of the really cool projects we're working on right now is 
you know, integrating a farm, a container farm into the Altgeld Gardens community with our okay. partners by the hand and Whole Foods Market has helped facilitate the activation of that farm. You know, that's they've helped support freight to plate services for that community so that, okay. you know, actual Whole Foods are getting to the plates of that community, which is a really yeah, yeah. cool partnership, virtuous circle there. And then we're also working with another really large food bank in the state of Illinois on a pilot project for one location, but it's with the intention to be rolled out to agency partners all across the state of Illinois. So, you know, food banks are so important and they're seeing that growing their own food on site and having that fresh produce element to be able to give to communities in need is really important. Freight to Plate is helping facilitate that and make that happen. And are you seeing like a varied crop mix in terms of what each individual community has a need for? Yes. I mean, we try and tailor harvest menus to communities, okay. at least the initial harvest. Yeah. So to be specific, the Elkgeld Gardens community, we kind of surveyed the majority of the community to see what they would have an appetite for being grown. And it was so interesting. So like, Two types of kale, mustard greens, collard greens, and two types of lettuce, a butterhead okay. and a romaine. So okay. leafy greens and lettuces. And that seemed like it. everyone's really excited for that. And after the first harvest, we've already have like second survey out to say, do you want to see different things grown in the farm? And there are individuals that are calling out different crop types like okay. rainbow Swiss chard and arugula. So yeah. that's been really interesting. For the food bank, they're going to stay very in line with lettuces and yeah. and use the container to just focus on heads of lettuce. Okay. From I think putting your entrepreneurial and business hat back on, what's a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently? <laughs> I'm trying to think how... So Freight to Plate is moving locations and we had two locations that we were contemplating and one was a lot bigger and it was a hard decision to to, just with where the world is right now like how much are you going to bet on yourself how much are you going to bet on yourself and your projections to take the leap on the bigger more exciting space And that was a hard question because it was one of those, you know, it's been a little bit of like a hard kind of like meeting a lot of adversity couple months. So this was a moment where in the midst of getting over meeting those, the adversity, like looking at myself in the mirror and saying, do you still believe in yourself? Do you still believe in what you're doing enough to take a, another big leap of faith? And so that was challenging and, it took a couple of days, which is the longest I've actually yeah. like sat with a question, like questioning that, but um, we're jumping, we're taking the leap. That's and, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. We've been doing a lot of quiet growing. That's what the last year has been about. Yeah. Cause we did go from a transition of owner operator of a farm to definitely digging into more of the consultants yeah. and sellers of, what we do was a huge transition. I don't think I really knew the impact of that transition, what that was going to be like. 
But I guess that's entrepreneurship. <laughs> yeah, lots of surprises, lots of leaps of faith, you know, taking yeah. the next step. And I always, I don't know if you remember this, the Indiana Jones movie, I forgot which one, but there's a scene where he has to like cross this chasm and it looks like it's like, like a drop below, but it's like, it's painted in a way where it looks like it's the bottom. So essentially he has to take the first leap and believe that there's going to be something there to hold his foot when he, when he takes it. And he's kind of takes it. So he takes that first step of faith. And I think as entrepreneurs, we keep hitting these milestones and these opportunities to decide, okay, are, are we going to push on further? Are we going to stay where we're at? You know, are we going to close up shop? And, you know, I feel like we're always being challenged, but I mm -hmm. think that is a part of the entrepreneur's journey. And I think I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, where you go to find like the strength to make a decision like that, that can, you know, have potentially long-term impact. You know, we haven't really talked about this all that much, but my co-founder is my sister. Yeah. And it just so happens she's my best friend and That's awesome. she is really who I get to like literally turn to and we just look eye to eye and can have that conversation. And, you know, we have a big family, so it's all mm -hmm. family driven. You know, I find a lot of strength and a lot of guidance within my family unit. So again, I get to look next to me and it's my sister. Yeah. And then our older brother is also an entrepreneur and a business owner, and okay. he is definitely a sounding board for us. He gets a little bit scared sometimes with <laughs> <laughs> the decisions Jack and I make, but he's a really good sounding board, and that's good. He's a little bit more. He just has a different perspective, which is yeah. And then also, you know, I take long walks with my dog Floyd, and that's helpful. Yeah, answers usually come to us too, on you know block number two or three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's something to be said. And that's something I'm trying to do a better, better movement towards being outside being in sounds being away from a screen. My, my girlfriend is the opposite of me in terms of like being out in nature. Mm -hmm. We just went on a walk in a bird sanctuary yesterday. And I realized that when I'm in front of the screen, I feels like I can't tear myself away from it or working on the business like I have to like, oh, constantly be mm -hmm. in that mindset. But I think there is something to be said for changing the scenery up, calming, you know, the mind, reducing the noise and connecting with nature and your loved ones, your pets and all that sort of stuff. Because there's something, I think you access something differently when you're in that space that lets you make better decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Even just sometimes bringing like fresh flowers home from the store can do yeah. that as well. Yeah. So it sounds like you've made a, a big decision for to play it in that and you've got some interesting projects underway so it, it sounds like we're gonna have to keep getting an update from you and <laughs> absolutely what, yeah. Next. yeah and you know again freight to plate has been doing some quiet growing and i think in the next you know three to six months your audience and even the freight to plate audience is going to be hearing a lot more about the projects that we'll be launching that we'll get to talk about and really our growth plan and when we can share our new space and mm. who our partners will be in that yeah. space, there's a lot to talk about. And so we'll have to bring your audience to Chicago yeah. <laughs> for a real live visit. Well, I mean, we're in the same time zone. I'm in Minneapolis. So whenever yeah, something ready, far. yeah, I'm due for a road trip to check out some of these places in person. I think it's I'm overdue. I've done the conferences now and I need to start getting into some of these farms and mm -hmm. doing some videos and having some conversations on site, which I think will be a lot of fun. 
Absolutely. We'll have the perfect space for you, Harry. Yeah, yeah. That'll be awesome. I'm excited. Do you see opportunities? And have you had people reach out from other states about, you know, seeing what you guys are doing and seeing the success you're having and and sort of learning from you and then, you know, how they can apply it in their home? Absolutely. That's the whole model behind the homestead. It is meant to be a year-round showcase of controlled environment agriculture. You know, our original homestead was an outdoor location. The container obviously is indoor, but like everything around it was outdoors. Yeah, so it was yeah. really great for four months of the year in Chicago. We had really great events. I mean, we've had people from all over the world come and That's uh, awesome. Yeah, meet with us and do trainings. So this new location is going to be year round and we have a lot of space for workforce development, you know, enhanced curriculum development, community events. We're really looking forward to it. And again, we're going to have multiple tech partners in the space with us. So when people come to the homestead, they'll be able to see all sorts of different footprints, a container farm, micro farm. There'll be different ways to integrate hyperlocal food into your home or your community at the new homestead location. That's exciting. We'll make sure we have links to all the socials so people can follow the journey as well. Absolutely. So as we get close to wrapping up here, what I've been doing on these podcast episodes is leaving some space towards the end of these conversations. You know the audience here, a lot of it is your peers and colleagues in the space. Mm -hmm. So is there a message that you have for the folks in vertical farming, people that you've connected with or people that maybe haven't even met yet, but I just want to give you the platform for anything that comes to you that's top of mind? You know, thank you for making space for that. That's really cool that you do that. I think our industry is in need of continued and healthy partnerships. I think there's so much advancement in tech and software, and it's so cool to see it from this perspective. I believe that as an industry, we'll be so much stronger and really be able to impact the world in which we all want to if we work together. And I think that's really important to know no matter whether it's a startup or a well-established company, I think there needs to be you know, space and true respect and desire for the partnership aspect. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you're seeing that in the experiences you've had when you got started. And I think you got a taste of it probably at the conference a little bit. And I think you're going to get more of it as more and more people become aware of the work that you're doing and how important it is for communities and creating this experience for people and connection to food, which I think, you know, people, it's something that's inherent in us. And you mentioned your connection to your Italian heritage as well, mm -hmm. but everyone, no matter really where you're at, there is some sort of connection to food and you can mention specific meals to someone and they'd probably get a flashback to something in their child or something. So yeah. I think it's all connected in a way that's really beautiful. And I think the more and more conversations we have about the work that you're doing at Freight to Plate, I think it can be helpful and inspiring for people as well. Yeah. And let's not forget to be partners in all of yeah. our successes. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So you've got a really easy to remember website, ftp.farm. I love simple and easy to remember URLs. And so mm -hmm. I, I, that was pretty smart for you to grab that. So ftp.farm, anywhere else you want to send folks to get connected with you? Yeah, on Instagram at freight to plate. 
And you can follow me on LinkedIn, Mary Scala. I'm probably the most active of the Freight to Plate team, um, okay. but you can also follow Freight to Plate as well on LinkedIn. Yeah. And you've provided all those links as well. And we're going to make sure to include all of those in the show notes as well. So all the links, all the socials, all the websites, and all the ways to get in contact with you. We'll have those included. So I'm really glad we got connected. But we're definitely sounds like we're going to be working on something for Indoor Icon 2024. <laughs> I think so. Susan's going to love it. Yeah. So this is definitely not uh, the last of our conversation. So thank you for sharing your inspiring story. I had a feeling it was going to be fun and, and inspiring. And I think all the different ways that people come into this space is really exciting for me to share because I think there is no one path. And I think you've clearly demonstrated that. But all the little pieces and all the little steps that you took, I don't know, and you may agree with this, but I think you wouldn't be where you're at had it not been for the experiences you've had, you know, Absolutely leading up to this. Not. Yeah, I say this a lot. I got my butt kicked along the way, but I stand up taller and I've got a lot more opinions, which I think that's important. And yeah. yet I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for some of those whoopings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's inspiring. Well, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you to the Vertical Farming Podcast audience. I mean it when I say when the homestead doors open, hopefully this summer in Chicago, I yeah. want everyone to come and experience what the homestead in Chicago is all about. Very good. We'll put that on the calendar. Thank okay. you. Thank you.